Happy Advent Harvest City. I hope you guys are doing very, very well. And for those of you who are new to the word Advent, Advent means arrival or coming. This is the period building up to Christmas. And this time, Advent is a time of celebration and a time of anticipation. I say that because Christianity has two great Advents. The first Advent is the one that you probably know and think of when you think of Christmas. And that is the birth of Jesus, the arrival of God in the flesh 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. But at the same time, this time of year is a time of anticipation for when Jesus is going to come again as King, coming to bring his kingdom, coming to bring justice and order and healing to our world, coming to make things the way they should be, to make all things new. Which honestly at the end of a year like 2020 sounds pretty good to me, I'm sure to you too. Now listen, on top of all of the tradition of Christmas, I think as we come to Christmas this year at the end of 2020, after what has been an unprecedented year in the history of the world, I think we've got to ask ourselves some questions. You know, I think a lot of people started this year, which was the start of a new decade, fresh with possibility and opportunity. And we were saying things like 2020 vision. This is a year of vision. You know, um, I, I, I kind of made fun of that a little bit, but like we, we saw that this is a clean slate, new opportunity. And then by March, we were just amazed at the things that were going on and how our lives were changing. So it almost feels like as we're wrapping up 2020, as we come to Christmas, We've got this question in light of everything that we've been through this year. Is Christmas really relevant to us in 2020? You know, and if so, how, what does the Christmas message have to say to us after everything that we've been through this year and after everything we've had to endure? I saw a tweet a couple of months ago, which I think helps us to process maybe what a lot of people are feeling or have been through or the comfort we need at the end of this year. It said pornography engagement up alcohol consumption up, suicide rates up, depression up, anxiety, marriage problems, fear, hopelessness, crime rates, fatigue, isolation, sadness, conflicts up. And at the end of all of that list, they said gathering as the church is absolutely essential. And I guess the reason is why, you know, if, if you don't know the church, if you don't love the church, if you don't know Jesus, that might not make sense to you. But the reason he is saying there is because we in the church have the message of Jesus, the message of hope for a weary world. And I think at the end of 2020, our sin-beaten world is weary. People are tired. feels like everyone I speak to at the moment is talking about feeling burnt out, drained, tired, exhausted, ready for a break, something like that. And as I was preparing for tonight, thinking about Advent in 2020, I think the words that were coming to my mind over and over again were the lyrics from that famous carol, O Holy Night, that say, A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, we love that. A thrill of hope, that sounds like a good way to round out 2020. But a weary world, that, that sounds so much like probably how many of us are feeling and just the context, the environment we live in at the moment. A, a weary world and a weary world rejoicing feels like a far off idea. 2020 has been a wearying year and I think at the end of it we could do with some hope and rejoicing. And this Christmas, the reality is, is no matter what you are in, no matter what you've been through, your circumstances, your situation, you and I can have hope both here and now in this life, in this moment, but also we can have hope for the life that is to come for eternity with God in Christ. 
because of all that Jesus has done. So that's what I want to look at this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2 and we'll read together. Otherwise, it'll pop up on the screen while you watch. But this is one of my favorite Christmas passages and a passage which helps us to understand the good news of Christmas. Luke 2 verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Dum, dum, dum. Those six words are some really scandalous, scandalous words in the Bible. You know, Mary was his betrothed. They were a little bit more than engaged, but a little bit less than married. And she was with child. Whose baby was this? Was this Joseph's baby? Was this someone else's baby? Or or was this, as Mary claimed, the son of God? Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And again, that's a a moment of shame, a moment of scandal. There's no place for them in the inn. They, They don't have money for anything better. So it's not just like they couldn't find a place. No, they were poor. And Jesus, the son of God, was born in a feeding trough of animals outside in a barn surrounded by kings and creatures. It's a really unique Advent moment. And in the same region, there were shepherds, not CEOs, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I love that phrase. That is my Christmas phrase. Good news of great joy for all people. That's the hope that we have. That is the excitement of Christmas. That is the joy of Christmas. And the Greek word there for that word great is the word megas. It's where we get the word megasaurus from or any mega something from. And what the scriptures are saying here is that the message of Jesus is good news of mega joy for all people and that that mega joy is found in Jesus. It comes from him. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if the Bible is teaching that I can have mega joy and that it is in Jesus, I want Jesus and I want everything that he has for me. But I also want to point this out here because those of you who are watching this tonight and are thinking, well, God doesn't know me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about my situation. Clearly, 2020 has been rough for me. You see here in Luke chapter 2 that you matter to God. That God cares about you. That God sees you. That God knows you. That he knows about your situation. And here we see that he went to the effort of coming down to save you as a savior. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went out from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
in our world, in our lives, through the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, the hope of Jesus is ringing out. Good news of mega joy for all people. This thrill of hope for a weary world. Now, I realize some of you probably don't know the song, Oh Holy Night, all too well. I'm going to connect a little link at the end of this for you to listen to it in response. But really, Oh Holy Night is not just an amazing gospel song. It's also got an amazing gospel story. Let me share it with you right now. In 1847, the story starts in a small French town with a man named Placide Capot de Roquemois. He was not really a churchgoer. He was known as a bit of a hellraiser. And actually, after a while, he would leave the church altogether and join in with the socialist movement. But this year, he was approached by a priest from the local church because he was a well-known poet in that region. And the priest said, will you write us a Christmas poem from Luke chapter 2, the passage that we've just read? And he did it. Placide took up the challenge and he wrote what must be the greatest Christmas poem of all time. But this was more than just a poem. So Placide contacted his friend, a composer named Adolf Charles Adams. And Adams had studied at the conservatory in Paris. He'd worked with ballets and orchestras all over the world. And he was a very talented man, but also not a believer in Jesus. He was a Jewish man. But together, um, Placide and Adolf, they turned this poem into a beautiful song that was performed on Christmas Eve, 1847, at Midnight Mass. This is just hundred and whatever 70 years ago the song was sung for the first time in a church service the song spread like wildfire quickly other catholic services were adopting it and playing it it was absolutely loved until someone dug a little bit deeper and found out about placide and adolf and their stories and the fact that they weren't christ followers and the song was banned from being played in masses or church services which i bet you is not something you expected about your favorite hymn or this carol that you enjoyed singing but even though the church had officially denounced the song the story was not over and what happened is the song was so popular that it was sung by people just not in church and an american by the name of john sullivan dwight heard it and loved it and thought this is a song that the american people need to hear so he translated it and being a passionate fervent abolitionist someone fighting for the end of the slave trade he saw in the lyrics of one of the stanzas something that resonated with him and his calling and what he saw in the gospel the lines say truly he taught us to love one another his law is love and his gospel is peace chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease dwight translated the song and he titled it oh holy night and the song became really popular it spread like wildfire and particularly in the north during the civil war as they fought for the freedom of slaves the song was sung as a song of hope that jesus is remaking a broken and weary world and all the injustice and oppression and sin and evil we see in the world today will one day come to an end in him that's the good news of christmas but again the story is not over back in france the church had still banned the song, even though it was still growing in popularity among the people. But there's this legend that on Christmas Eve of 1871, in the midst of fierce fighting between the Germans and the French in the Franco-Prussian War, a French soldier jumped out of his foxhole without a weapon in hand, and he began to sing the song, Oh Holy Night, uh, in French. 
And as he finished the song, a German soldier hopped out of his foxhole, also without a weapon, and began to sing Martin Luther's Christmas hymn, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. And the fighting stopped. The soldiers laid down their weapons for a day of ceasefire on Christmas Day. Just a little taste of heaven on earth, a little taste of a thrill of hope for weary soldiers. But the story isn't over. On Christmas Eve 1906, so again, 114 years ago today, a 33-year-old professor named Reginald Fessenden did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Fessenden spoke into a microphone and for the first time in the history of the world, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. You might be saying, okay, well, what did he say? He read these words. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. He read from Luke chapter 2 verse 1 onwards, the passage we have read today. The first words ever broadcast on radio, on airwaves, were the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And I want you to think about radio operators uh, on ships and wireless owners sitting at home or at work who were used to these normal coded impulses coming their way, who all of a sudden out of nowhere are hearing a voice reading the Bible. I can imagine some of them thought, this is it, my time is up. It's the voice of God, the word of God, the angel of the Lord. They were literally hearing the words of God coming to them over the airwaves. I'm sure they were completely confused. And as Fessenden put down his reading, he picked up his violin and he began to play Oh Holy Night, the first song to ever go through the airwaves. Now, I don't know what your Spotify playlist said for 2020. I've seen so many people posting their list of top five songs and top artists and all of that. But the first song ever to be played through the airwaves was a song about a thrill of hope for a weary world because of the joy that can be had in Jesus. As we end off 2020, I think wouldn't it be the same if the gospel went out, if a thrill of hope went out for a weary world, that people found hope in Jesus and what he has done that would give a a tired and weary, drained world reason to rejoice. But I guess my job tonight is to answer the question, where does this hope come from? You know, where is this thrill of hope from? What is the message? And very simply and probably obviously on a day like today, the the hope comes from the message of Christmas. If I can summarize it to two big ideas. Firstly, Christmas reminds us of our hope at Jesus' first coming. Christmas reminds us of our hope at Jesus' first coming. See, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born as a baby, God in the flesh, he came as the savior of the world to forgive us of our sin, to wash us clean, to give us a new life, a new identity as a child of God, and to reconcile us to our Father in heaven. That's why he came. So Jesus is our savior, which is the humbling part of Christmas, because if we need a savior, it means we can't save ourselves. And I guess my hope for those of us watching this is if you're not a Christian today, maybe after 2020 and all we've endured, you've been able to say, okay, I've felt so out of control this year. I'm not able to control the world or or my life or even how I feel. Maybe I can submit myself to a savior outside of myself. You see, Christmas reveals that we are all sinners, which is a very hard thing to hear that I am a sinner in need of a savior. But it reveals that too, that I need a savior, that salvation doesn't come from within, that it comes from above. 
that the, the hope of salvation is not that I make my way to heaven, that I'm good enough to get to God, but that God came down to bring me up to him. Christmas is humbling because it shows us that, that salvation is not inside of us, that our Savior had to come down to earth to live the life we couldn't live and that he died on the cross in our place. And most importantly, it teaches us that God loves you, that he loves me, that he loves us. But I really want to emphasize that he loves you so much that he was willing to come. Not only willing that he did it, God came down for you. The first advent fills us with hope that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be made new, that we can have a new relationship with God and one another and a new life in him. But it doesn't end there. The second part of Advent is this. Christmas reminds us of our hope in Christ's return. And when I thought of that line, a, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. I thought of snapshots of what we've witnessed in 2020 that have made us feel so weary. And I think if you're anything like me, I've loved following the news and being on News 24 and CNN and BBC and Al Jazeera, following what's going on in the world, staying informed. But at the same time, there's been so much coming at us, let alone being COVID fatigued. I think there's information fatigue, fact fatigue, media fatigue that can make us feel weary and worn down at the end of this year. When I was thinking about all of this, I, I had all these snapshots of what 2020 has looked like and what has been weary for us. And I'm sure different things might come to your mind, but of course there's the snapshot of a global pandemic, a snapshot of the statistics of people who are infected and sick and dying and dead. There's the snapshots of just domestic violence and the gender-based violence going on in our country and around the world. There's the snapshots of just the racial tension, economic stress, political tension, and personal pressures that people are facing and all of those have real names and faces and, and information behind them which make it so so real and personal and when I look at all of this in 2020 we've got to think to ourselves well, what does Christmas have to say to that and in the gospel what we have is this promise of Jesus returning his second coming the second advent when he is going to come and make everything the way it is supposed to be Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5 is one of my favorite passages in this and it says this then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This passage is the kind of hope that makes a weary world rejoice. That one day, through Jesus, our world will finally find rest from sickness and crime and corruption and violence and injustice and oppression and selfishness and suffering and prejudice and all of the wickedness and brokenness and evil that we see in our world. That one day there will be an end to all of this and rest from all of this. And that all things will be the way that they should be and we will no longer be weary. That is the promise of Jesus' return. And for many of us watching this, we know that passage. We know that truth about what is coming in the future. And we look forward to it with great hope. 
but we can also easily lose sight of this just in the busyness of life. You know, we, we believe this, we know it, we know it's coming, but actually in the day-to-day realities of our lives, dealing with all of these snapshots of 2020, it's really easy for us just to get bogged down and to lose the thrill of hope of what Jesus is doing in our world. It's tiring to live through a year like this. It's tiring to live through uncertainty and fear and disappointment and dreams dying and all sorts of things coming at us. And that's why the scriptures say in Proverbs that hope deferred makes a heart grow sick. A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but hope deferred makes a heart grow sick. We need hope. We need the thrill of hope to rejoice even when we're feeling weary. And this is the exact same thing that happens in Luke 24 with some of Jesus' own disciples just after his crucifixion and after he's been placed in his tomb. You see, these followers of his had given up everything to follow him. They put all their hopes in him. They believed in him. They believed he was the savior of the world, the Messiah, everything Luke 2 says. And then they'd watched him be beaten and nailed to a cross and mocked and watched him die and then he had died and been buried in a tomb and their dreams their hopes had been crushed let me set the scene for you of what happens in luke 24. it's two days after jesus's death but it's resurrection sunday and two of his disciples are heading for a small town called emmaus and they're walking and along the way they're talking about what's been going on the last few days in jerusalem and the stranger comes and joins these two sorrowful, mourning, downcast people. And he starts to walk with them and joins their conversation and asks them a little bit about what they're talking about and what's been happening in Jerusalem. And they can't believe that he doesn't know the story. And they tell him about Jesus' arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And they say this in Luke 24 verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's what they'd hoped, that he was the redeemer. You see, all of their hopes were pinned on him to bring redemption to the world, to bring his kingdom, to end injustice, to heal, to save, to make things the way that it should be. And when they watched him die on that cross, their dreams died and they became weary with disappointment. Now the stranger who later revealed that he is Jesus walks along with them and asks questions and listens to them. And then somewhere along the line, the the situation shifts. And he starts to teach them about the plan and purpose of God from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to Malachi chapter 4, throughout the scriptures. And they are riveted. He is showing them what God is doing in human history and helping them to make sense of what has just happened. And when the stranger seems as if he's going to go a different way when they get home, they say, no, please join us for dinner. Please stay with us. We want to hear more. So the stranger comes in. They sit down at the table and the stranger takes the bread and breaks it just like Jesus had done at the Last Supper. And their eyes are open and they realize it's him and they're in awe. Luke 24 verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Did we not get filled with a thrill of hope while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and all of them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. These disciples had placed their hope in Jesus. They left their lives behind, they left their livelihoods behind, they left their families behind, and they'd followed him, they'd served him, they'd listened to him, they'd believed in him. They had they had done ministry. They had gone out to tell other people the things Jesus had told them. 
And when they watched him die on the cross on that Friday afternoon, their dreams died. The, the kingdom of God coming, gone. You know, the Messiah being realized in their midst, gone. This new world that he promised to bring, gone. All the promises of their faith coming to pass, you know, of an end to suffering and evil and sin and injustice vanished before their eyes. When he died, they lost their hope. They were sorrowful. They were mourning. They were weary. And having their lives so wrapped up in this adventure with Jesus of changing the world together with him was now completely dashed by his death. And they started going back to their old lives, just doing what they used to do. But you know what I love about this passage? God doesn't abandon the weary. God comes after them and he finds them. And God walks along with them and he restores their hope. And he does this by revealing himself to them. He shows them who he is. And you see, Jesus was with them all along, even when they were hopeless and weary, even if they didn't know it. And now after seeing him, their hope comes alive again. And all they want to do is go back to Jerusalem, back to the disciples, tell them what they've seen, tell them about their hope that is alive because Jesus is alive so that the disciples can be filled with hope again too. See, what we see in Luke chapter 24 is a thrill of hope and a weary group of disciples rejoicing. Now, some of you don't know the song, so we'll uh, have a little link at the end that you can listen to it and just meditate and reflect on this message. But... The main stanza says this. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, the night when Christ was born. The lines of that song are the hope of Christmas, are the hope of the Christmas gospel message that in Jesus a new and glorious morning has dawned in our world, that in Jesus there is always a thrill of hope available to us that can make us rejoice, that in Jesus we have a saviour to forgive us of our sins and reconcile us to God, and that in Jesus we are looking forward to a day when he returns to right what is wrong, to undo what is wrong, to make all things the way that it should be. And for those of us who are watching this, who are feeling weary at the end of a hard year, that is so real and true. But what this passage is saying is we can turn to him, the one who is pursuing us, and we can find hope and rejoice. Why don't you take a moment just to play that song, O Holy Night, and just to listen to its lyrics, and just to respond to God in your own way, and ask him to fill you with rejoicing, to fill you with hope, and to take your weariness away in Jesus' name.